Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Bob Hyatt, it's good to see your face today. <laughs> it's good to see you too, Doug. Uh, it's been a while since we've been able to be in the same room other than virtually. Yes, it's it's very true. I, I, I am like, have you grown? Have you shrunk? I mean, it's like just seeing your head all over these, you know, these beautiful airwaves. It's like, you look like you got taller, but I'm not sure. I uh, maybe it's because I've adjusted the camera a little bit differently. But the truth is, and I hate to say this, I actually think I'm shrinking. <laughs> oh, well, that's OK. I, I, yeah, I think I lost a, a, like a uh, an eighth of an inch over the last year or two. And it's I, I'm bummed out because I didn't really have that much to, <laughs> to give away. <laughs> You know, I tell people I'm five six, but that's yeah, no longer exactly true. That's okay. I mean, I tell people that my wife is four foot thirteen inches, um, <laughs> which is super fun, and sometimes she gets mad at me. But, anyways, Bob, uh, you we had you on the show, I think, in our first season, and um, you and I worked together through Kairos, and and you also are one of the leaders on Ecclesia, which is the network that Renew my church belongs to. Um, and we've been friends for quite a few years, but um, yeah. you've decided to jump in and be one of the co-hosts, which I'm super excited about because I love spending time with you. Uh, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. I am currently in the great state of Idaho. Uh, we live in Boise. We've been here for about three years. Previous to that, it was 25 years of pastoral ministry in places uh, as far flung as the Netherlands and North Carolina, and then uh, Portland, Oregon. We planted a church in 2004 in Portland, and I pastored that um, for about 14 and a half years before deciding to devote myself full-time to coaching pastors and other leaders to um, really I, I, the way that I think of it is I want to serve those who serve the church. I want to take care of those that are taking care of others. And uh, so that's what I've been spending my time doing the past few years. And and actually, it's probably the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that vision and even the way you walk that vision out, Bob, in terms of just mm -hmm. longing to care for those who are caring for the church so, you know, um, as a coach, as one who's been investing in leaders, do you sense like, are there certain themes that you've just noticed in, in the last six months or the last two years that have been kind of come into the forefront and, um, you know, in, in your coaching calls or just in conversations with pastors or friends? Uh, you know, I, I, I think I would say that the... Um the refrigerator buzz of stress has gotten about two to three times louder over this last season, yeah. you know, and it's that thing that it's that noise that uh, unless you really stop and pay attention, you just, you don't even notice it. Like pastoral ministry is, it's always stressful and there's never a time when or rarely a time I should say when leaders say, Hey, everything's going great. It's stress-free. <laughs> Boy, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Um, 
But just the difference in talking to leaders uh, three years ago versus over this last season, uh, it's that it's someone just turned up the volume on the stress, you know? Uh, there is the stress of of having to deal with new situations and new kind of we've never done this before. How do we do it? But it's not just that. It's 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 as though um, the weight of of pastoral ministry, the pressure that leaders are under, has just increased. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. so I, I really I feel for folks that are doing this day in and day out and. Uh, it's not like we didn't get hit by people on both sides of an issue before, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something different about w- what's happening right now with the current, like, should we get vaxxed? Should we not? Are we going to wear masks? Are we not? Are we going to meet in person? Are we not? Like, even that, it's it, it's as though um, the the pressure and the kind of the 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 voices everything's just amplified and i i think leaders are really feeling that right now yeah and i think that's why i'm so glad that you decided to jump in with with co-hosting with the mm-hmm. monday morning pastor and just because my sense i mean knowing you for as long as you have some of the things that you've taught me over the years um but even the things that i mean i don't know if you remember coming out to renew and meeting mm-hmm. uh like just a spiritual formation weekend and talking about the managed life, wounded life, formed life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that's still language we use. And mm. I, I will tell you that during this, these last two years, it's been even in the darkest moments and the hardest moments within the church, mm. hearing uh, leaders in our community use that language of like, wow. man, this is opportunity for us to live into the form of life. Like, let's go in and deep mm-hmm. to this. Let's trust Jesus. And so I mm. think there is this really great, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The volume's been turned up. It's It feels like we're just hearing it a lot louder, but there's also just a lot of opportunity, I think, in this season for maybe like the examination to check and see mm. where Jesus might invite, be inviting us to like have hope or grow or even oh, like, choosing, like even choosing joy in the craziness that's happening and, and finding some things that are, that are life giving in it, like, mm. ho- you know, new hobbies and new opportunities and deepening friendships and relationships. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So we're really excited to have you on, Bob. Thank you so much for saying yes. Um, and yes. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, we get a chance to do this together. And um, yeah, we're super excited for the interview today. Um, he is, uh, you know, Bob, you you, you brought up uh, Dr. David McDonald. I guess you guys went to school together. Is that right? Uh, okay. So uh, the funny thing is, you know, when I when I walked across the stage to receive my my doctor of ministry diploma, uh, the faculty clapped and they were not clapping because I had done a great job. They were clapping because I was finally finishing it. (laughs) And I first met Dave McDonald. I think it was 2005. I had started a D man at George Fox and, uh, I thought I could do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, I was in the I was in the program for a semester with him, um, and I thought uh, I don't know what I was what I was thinking when I 
when I believed that I could start a demon uh, a year into fatherhood, uh, two years, two or th- well, maybe three years into marriage, and a year into uh, pastoring a, a a new church plant. I, you know, <laughs> just absolutely insane to try to add. But one of the good things that came out of it was I got to meet this crazy Canadian named Dave McDonald, who is one of the most, um, he's, he's like a force of nature, just energetic and creative. And you never know where he's going to go or what he's going to do, but you know, it's going to be good. (laughs) Yeah. So we're super psyched to spend some time with him today. And we hope that you all are encouraged by this conversation. Dr. David McDonald was the teaching pastor at Westwinds Community Church in Jackson, Michigan for many years. This church has been widely considered as the most innovative church in America. It's been featured he's been featured on CNN and in Wall Street Journal, New York Times and Time Magazine. David weaves deep theological truths with sharp social analysis and and peculiar observations on pop culture. He lives in Jackson with his wife and his two kids. Here we are having a great conversation already before we hit the record button with Dr. David McDonald. Uh, David has been my dissertation advisor, and he's also a good friend of Bob Hyatt. So thanks for being with us today, David. Hey, my pleasure, you guys. I'm looking forward to it. David, so good to see you again after all these years. Uh, You stepped into a church situation where, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, someone had written a book and it gotten really big and they were moving on and you were coming into this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your history with, with, uh, with the church there, how you, how you came to be there. And then I want to ask you about what's coming next. Cause I know you're going through a little bit of a transition yeah. right now. Yeah. So, so I came to this church in a small town in Michigan about 17 years ago. And honestly, I think it is the greatest, funnest, coolest, um, most holistic church on the planet. And I can say that because I've been to thousands of churches. I mean, I've, I've put in my legwork, man, and I love this community. But when I got there, it was a mess, a hot mess. If you have ever spilled ramen noodle and tried to fight off dogs who were <laughs> savagely chewing at it, then you have some idea of the kind of mess this church was in. And I, I don't know that I lay all that at the, the feet of my predecessor because he'd been gone for a couple of years. It's sort of been a headless monster for a while before I got there. There's just lots of infighting among the staff and the elders. Congregation had really depleted and the, the church had really lost a sense of itself. And, and more significantly, it really lost the primacy of Jesus. So the, the church had a reputation for being innovative and creative. That's what drew me to it. Um, but But in the midst of all the innovations, I mean, Jesus, never mind, back seat Jesus got thrown out the tailpipe I mean Jesus was getting chewed up in the propeller behind the speedboat so so for me I'm I'm a Jesus guy so instead of my first task being how do we innovate and bring the gospel in fresh exciting new ways my first task was like do we get do we get the friggin son of God back in here for five hot seconds <laughs> my people what we're doing it. and uh and I, I had a couple of great co-pastors at the time uh, John Bowles and and Randy Schaefer and the three of us together really really set about getting that church back on track and we did and had all kinds of crazy adventures in the process and and took took a a couple of really big blows you know my my buddy asked me last week he said how would you define the experience of being a pastor in a local church 
And I said, oh, it's a vocation of being despised. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's sacrificing for people that you love who mostly love you back until they absolutely hate you and will let you know and probably tell your family and all your close friends do. But, but for all that, you, you just go, well, what, man? I mean, if they, if they had problems with Jesus, they're going to have problems with us. You know, servant's not greater than his master. We, we grow by sharing in the sufferings of our Lord. And, and yeah, the ministry is painful and also absolutely gorgeous at the same time. So we had all the low lows and all the high highs and, and what a run, man. It's, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. I'm grateful for it. I, I'm really curious about what it was like to follow someone who was well-known in ministry, someone who was kind of getting out there on the scene, was it, did you find that there was an expectation that you would be a certain way or be like him or, you know, what was that like to come into a church that maybe had been built by a personality? Yeah, it's, it's sucked. <laughs> it was terrible because, and, and not to take away from my predecessor's ability or talent or, or leadership acumen or anything. It's just that I, I didn't measure up and, and the people knew it. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I kind of look back and go, why did they hire me? Because the gap between him and me was was huge. And so you'd get up and preach and, and people would go, oh, that was like, that was a, a single, maybe a double. And you're going, that was, that was every trick I ever learned. That was 157 hours of prayer and 168 weeks. That was, that was the best theological reflection I had. And it just, it just wasn't good enough. Um, and, and maybe it's crude to commodify things that way, but, but that's how it works and that's how it worked. And actually that, that was really good for me. Um, cause I, I probably had a, a bit of an air of the hot shot coming in, hmm. you know, was, I was, uh, my, my dad was a pastor at the church where I'd served previously. And so there was a kind of a family sense in that church and, and, and a, the, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but there was sort of a golden sun mentality. So then you come to a new place in a new country in a new state, a new part of the world with a new culture. You don't have any of that shared history. You don't have any of that sort of uh, ecclesial nepotism. And just to get up and fail week after week in sermons, in staff meetings, in strategic planning, in leadership development and training, I mean, just fail after failure after failure after failure was honestly the, the most important thing that could have happened to me. And it was painful, and it was humiliating, and I was discouraged. Um, but also, the the things that I learned during that long season of failure uh, are, are the most precious components of my spirit. Um, and so, I I would never choose to do that again. But boy, I don't I don't look back on it with regret. Do you think you could name some of those things that were brought in your spirit in during that season, and sort of from that season? I think by nature, I'm a, I'm an entertainer. You know, I, I like people, I like crowds, I like spectacle, you know, so I always want to put on, um, like I, I, I like theater, I like music, you know, so I want things to have a, a theatrical sh- showmanship to them. And when you preach, you can tell when you're winning with a crowd, you know, you can tell like, Oh, they're, 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 they like what I'm saying. We're on the same wavelength. Um, but, but sometimes there's a temptation to play to the crowd instead of stick with your core conviction. And, and when you cannot win with the crowd, no matter what, the only thing you have left are your core convictions. So for me, that was really critical in, in cultivating my prophetic voice, knowing I'm going to have to say some hard things, and I want to say them in good ways that feel appropriate and biblically grounded and, and Christological and in line with church history and, and feel like Dave. 
rather than trying to get a laugh or trying to get, generate momentum or get an attaboy. Because there was a, an absolute dearth of affirmation for, for years. I, I honestly can't believe I didn't get fired. Because I, I feel like if they were voting every day, what they were voting was, no, no, not you. The opposite of you. Anybody other than you should be our pastor. That's, that's how it felt. Oh, man. But clearly, you, at 17 years, so <laughs> you made it for uh, a good long season. Longer than yeah. most people do. What, I wore I mean, them <laughs> I, I I hate to to ask such a simplistic question, but I mean, what what's been what, I, what's the secret? Is it the best way to put it? But like, what do you attribute your longevity in one place in, in mm. ministry to? How did you how did you maintain through all that failure, through all that setback, through that feeling of I'm not sure they want me? Yeah, well, I, I you know the. There's two parts to that answer. There's a, a really human part that I that I think is nevertheless holy, and then there's a really kind of you know gobbledygooky spiritual part that I, I nevertheless think is credible. Um, and so the spiritual part really is uh, is fundamentally I feel called to the local church. I'm a local church pastor, and I feel like God gave me the freedom to pick what church I would want to go to or move if I wanted to. But I just I felt like there was such a resonance between that community and me. I mean, I'm a creativity guy. I'm an innovation guy. I, I like change. I like to tinker with models. I, I enjoy liturgics. I enjoy missiology. I mean, I've, I've got all kinds of passion and energy to, to try new things in an effort to, to serve Jesus. And, and there's such resonance between that stuff in me and that stuff in that church. So I, so I go, in, in terms of my calling, that, that was the right place for me. Um, and he, even when it was hard and, and, and frustrating and, you know, through all the tearful nights and angry prayers and, you know, just the, the pounding on the altar and, and the, the, the questioning of, of why things can feel so bad when, when they're supposed to be so good. I mean, through all that, that, that ironclad sense of calling uh, really helped me. Um, and then on the flip side, I, I, I just don't quit. Um, I don't, I don't want to be a quitter. And I've been in ministry 27 years. You know, I've been a church consultant. I've been an executive coach. I've been a seminary professor. I've been a, a, a dissertation advisor. And I tell you, a lot of people in ministry, they just, they, they just got weak legs and it'll get a little bit hard and they'll fold. And I go, don't you, don't you know where we're from? Don't you know who we serve? Like he carried his own cross. That was it, man. That, that was it. Like, like, look at the Apostle Paul and his hobbled back and his, his broken skin. Like, this, this thing is going to make you suffer. And, and through the crucible of suffering, God gets access through our fractures and our brokenness in, in a way that, that very few other people are privileged to enjoy. And, um, and, and I just go, man, um, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That's, that's it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think you just preached a sermon that all pastors need to hear on a Monday, <laughs> right? Like that is the yeah. ultimate Monday. Monday morning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're, we're all Jonah on a Monday. Yeah, seriously. We're in this, we're in the belly, but I, you know, I think there's something that's so encouraging just about having that, that deep understanding and, and almost that, that, that like, 
sturdiness in our legs and and the strength in our backs, but also recognizing like, man, that's, I think the word you said is like, that's who we are. Like, don't you remember who you are? That's really, really important. So like peeling the, peeling the curtain back a bit, a bit for, for your own life. What are some practices that you've developed over the years that just help you keep that reminder of your identity? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm fond of saying that you, you got to do the things that the Lord has put in you to do. And we're all wired a little bit differently. And we all take rejuvenation and rest and energy through different pathways. Um, but unfortunately, m- much of church culture tells us that those things kind of don't count or they're not really spiritual or we shouldn't really be rejuvenated by that. You know, I've been training pastors for a long time. And sort of the number one pastoral myth is if you just pray more and spend more time alone with God, not preparing for a sermon, but just reading the Bible to soak it up, then you'll be fine. That's total crap. That's absolute crap. Who lies like that? But the enemy is total garbage. You know what you need to do? You need to go kayaking. You need to get outside in the sunshine. You got to lift some weights. Go for a run. Find out what, what you can do without any guilt and do it with your full energy and verb. So for me, I play guitar. I play drums. I work out twice a day, not because I have to, just because I enjoy it. I, I, I make good friends. I'll, I'll do silly, stupid, adventurous kinds of things. I'll, I'll travel. I'll spend time with my kids. I'll read books. I'll, I'll make stuff. I'll, I, I, I'm a, a hobbyist par excellence um, because I, I like it. I like it. Um, and those things fill my tank in a way that uh, traditional spiritual disciplines do not. That doesn't mean I don't participate in the disciplines. I do daily. But, but I do those things for sobriety, maturity, and longevity, mm. not for energy and not for clarity. Mm. In, in other words, ministry isn't the only thing you've got going on. Well, I, you know, I don't even think of ministry as ministry. That's what's kind of funny. Like, the, I am privileged to be paid to, to work in a church where I can preach and exercise my gifts and develop people. But, like, I, I make no functional distinction between how I operate in my office at the church and how I operate in the squat rack at the gym. I I am like the, I am always um, on assignment and and that that feels really good. I don't even really think about it as being on assignment. I just think about it as as living. Like these people are my friends. These people are my friends. I'm going to be good to these people. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to try and do everything I can to, to mediate and bless and heal. And um, yeah. Yeah, but I but I think one of the difficulties of the pastoral life is sometimes uh, the, there is nothing else going on. You know, we've yeah, got, right. We've basically yeah, church, got our church life and our home life, and that's yep. it. And when one or the other, or even both of those, are kind of an uphill struggle as they become at times, right. I, I think a lot of pastors really, really lose heart and struggle because there is no area where they are yeah. finding enjoyment, where they are finding life. Well, my, you know, I mentioned earlier that my dad was a pastor, um, you know, for 50 something years, and he was a bishop and a Canadian do- denomination, and he had nothing outside of the church. I think that's what you're getting at. When I mean, he would come home at, at the end of a long day, and he would crack open a Diet Coke and lay down on his side and watch the news. And that was his life. He, he did ministry until the day was over, and then Diet Coke. We never played baseball together we never went to hockey games together we were canadian hockey is religion i mean come on you know we should have been the pulp of hockey but but nothing um and and so i watched for my dad and i thought like that's that's not abundant life 
Like, like we have to be able to embody the gospel we are promising others can enjoy. And, and for a long time, my dad didn't do that. Now, l- later on, he did. But, but when, I, when I was living at home, you know, all the way through my teen years, I just didn't, all I saw in him was exhaustion. Uh, and I thought, the, the, that's not, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, my yoke is not Diet Coke and CNN or MSN or Fox News. Like, that's not, that's not the thing, man. Um, and if I die and go to heaven and there's Diet Coke in a church meeting, I, I went to the wrong place. <laughs> well, Dave, I, I mean, you've, it, it sounds like you have really well-developed ideas of, of personal health and, and, space in your life. I love, uh, you know, I don't know how many people uh, get to see the pictures of you on Facebook where you are weightlifting. You are swole, my brother. You are, you are getting, you're getting jacked. But I'm wondering as you think about the last, uh, as you say, 27 years or, or even just the last 17 years at Westwinds, like, okay, so what, what haven't you done well? What, as you think back mm. And you think like, okay, this is just not my thing. I wish I had done it better. Here's a mistake I made. Yeah, what what hasn't been good? Yeah, um, you know, we, we've never had any real success with small groups or community groups, um, and and I think that's because I don't like them. Um, and I, th- I think somehow that leaks out. You know, like uh, I find church community often disingenuous and um, tedious. And so for me, like, I want to get a big group of people to go to the movies or take a big group of people and go overseas on a mission trip. And I'm a, I am, I am active and I am grateful for the agency that God gives me to, to do something. But, but sitting in a living room and taking a, a, a thin look at, you know, last Sunday's sermon or some curriculum by somebody or even a small passage of Philippians is, is really uh, frustrating for me. And, and I don't think I ever said that out loud, but my guess is that it, it leaked um, because that, that's an area that was really weak in our church. And, and I take responsibility for that. And I wish that had been different. I just, I, I did not have, I do not have the capability of making that different. Um, I, I also think I was, uh, I, I was weak in helping people articulate why church should be different. So I have a lot of people around me who think church should be different and a lot of people around me who behave kind of like me, uh, but, but they're really missing sort of the uh, deeper understanding of ch- church history, uh, biblical theology, uh, and, and, um, and, and sort of a prophetic orientation to the future. And, and so I think that's a real weakness in my, in my leadership training and development is, is I made um, imitators, not acolytes. Um, now that's not always the case, but, but I look back and, you know, if you're looking at a couple hundred leaders, I go only a handful of them really got it. And, and again, I think that's because in my effort to be kind of an everyman, you know, and, and to be just sort of normal and jocular and, and fun and, and everybody's kind of big brother or whatever, I, I didn't always provide the theological underpinnings for why I believe what I believe for, for fear of it being tedious. I think that's really helpful too, even just to recognize how the things that I may not be passionate about are definitely leaking out into my, yeah, yeah that's man. That's, yeah. 
Well, and and I wonder, I wonder how, you know, looking back is always, you know, is it's you know, vision is always twenty twenty looking backwards. But like, I wonder, I wonder what it looks like to like engage that, but from a really different perspective of just even verbalizing, like, hey man, this just isn't my thing. But like, yeah. how, how do we get people around us that love that thing, and even yeah. realize, yeah, and. I don't know. I, I think my brain's just kind of popping right now thinking like, what are things that is what what's leaking out of my life that people are like, Oh, we know Doug hates that thing or Doug <laughs> is not a fan of this particular thing that we do on a regular yeah. basis. And I love it. We have one of our elders will tell me like, we always, we, I mean, we, we like to use a lot of um, language around liturgy. Like when we have house churches that we, we send out a yeah. house church liturgy and there's times when he looks at me is like, I paid attention to the liturgy this week and he hates that word. And I love it because I know that he hates it. It just drives him batty. Like everything from his childhood comes back and he is just like daggone working with these young whippersnapper pastors who like these yeah. old fancy words drives me nuts. Uh, anyway, sorry, maybe well, I'm just no, no, but I'll there, tell you that probably um, along the lines of, you know, things that maybe leaked out that we hate or things that we accidentally goad people from, um, the thing I think that that many people will be critical of me for is my approach to prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote a book uh, on prayer that I really, was really proud of called How to Be with God. And you can get it, you know, at all the normal places. Um, but but pr prayer drives me crazy in church. Drives me nuts. And I love to pray. I really enjoy prayer. I hate when we have to be in a group and pray like church prayer meetings, you know, and, and just the sort of messy, chaotic theology that's going on and the way people will use prayer to try and correct other people and rebuke other people and sort of sideways things. And you're like, this is grotesque. We have spectacularly missed the point of prayer. Um, but of course, to begin to niggle with prayer is to invite any amount of ire where people are like, what? You hate, you hate prayer? You heretic. You don't even love Jesus, do you? It's just, it's, it's, it's great. So, yeah, so yeah. It's not that you, it's not that you hate prayer. It's, it's that you hate the way that, that sometimes we end up doing it. You know, I, That's I, I hate loved... you. If you're praying, I, I can't stand you. <laughs> I, I always notice, I always take note when people have a distinct prayer voice that they oh, right. use. That, like the only time they ever speak in a certain way is when they are praying out loud. Yeah. That always grabs my attention. Well, I wonder if when you're by yourself, do you, do you use the words Lord, Father, God like that every seven seconds? I mean, do you, you know, is there, is there are there that many moans? I mean, maybe, but it's just, this, you know, I, little, I will tell you, we had an elder and uh, she was, uh, she worked with young life a lot. And so her standard way, when we asked her to pray, her standard way of starting was, hey, God. And I know that she did that in her own life, that that was yeah, just. Yeah. yeah, there was no prayer voice for her. It was just, hey, God. Yeah. It's like you're pushing the intercom button, like, uh, Lord, you busy? You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, God, it's me. There was a story that I read. I think it was in uh, Then Now Next. But you talked about um, a hedgehog. And I read the story to my daughter, who is like, she wants a hedgehog in the worst way. She's like, Dad, if that pastor has a hedgehog, why don't oh, you yeah. have one? So, yeah, and, yeah just mean. That's why. <laughs> are they really? Oh, they're so mean. Yes. No, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. they're cute. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, anyways, I just, I appreciate how even in like, even in that book, it really helped me to think through a lot of different ideas around creativity and just how I think one of the hard parts that we've noticed in I've talking with other people and even folks within my own community, uh, the pandemic has been really tough on creatives, like especially oh, yeah. I feel like on creatives because yeah. a lot of the spaces where they can do their thing has just been really like downplayed or it's uh, it, like creativity, mm -hmm. in my opinion, doesn't really portray well on an online uh, virtual setting, at least fr fr from what yeah. I've seen. So what yeah. would you say to the pastors who are creatives who are like just feeling like that, that has not really been able to be exercised in this season and, and they're just kind of hurting. What are some encouragements you might have for them? Yeah, do it anyway. Mm. Do it anyway. Whatever you do, do it as under the Lord. And, you know, if, if you got it in you to paint, if you got it in you to design, if you got it in you to write music, if you got it in you to write poetry or benedictions or uh, take a fresh approach at liturgy. If you don't do that, you're dead. You are dead. And there, there's a sense here in which you have to be faithful to the call of God upon your own soul, even before you're faithful to the call of God to your congregation. And and right now, most of our congregations are really utilitarian. Hey, man, just keep it simple. We want fastball Christianity. You pitch the ball down home plate, 90 miles an hour, nothing fancy. Don't waste our time. Great kids, some cutesy worship, and let's go home. And if you have an inkling of creativity in you, listening to your church will kill you. And that's why we have, we have massive amounts of pastors opting out of local church ministry because they, they can't survive. We're being bludgeoned and, and constrained into little shoebox parishes. And it's, it's, it's death. It's absolute death. So don't worry about whether or not it's effective. Don't worry about whether or not it's, it's influential or it's going to go viral. You got to do what the Lord has put in you to do. And there's that, that funny passage in Ezekiel. You know, when he has the vision of the four living creatures, right? And, and, and he's, he's seeing, you know, the, the eagle's face in one way and the ox is facing another way. And, the, you know, the, the lion and the man, they're facing the four cardinal points of the compass. And, and they never turn. It's a really funny detail, right? They never turn to the left or right. And wherever the spirit goes, the four living creatures follow. Which means if the spirit goes east, whoever's facing west feels like they're going backwards. Mm. And if the spirit's going north, like the east and west guys feel like everything's going sideways. And, and right now, I can't tell where the spirit's going. I just know I can't turn and, and, and I'm not going to change from an eagle into an ox. And so it might feel a little disorienting, but maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and don't try and be something you're not. Serve, be faithful, and embrace the fact that it's going to be a little bewildering for a while longer. And th this isn't the first season in church history where that's been true. That was kind of a roundabout way of answering that question. Sorry. No, that's great. That's great. Speaking of where the spirit is leading, I, th I think you are moving into a season of transition and God's been calling you into something different. Tell us about that. And particularly tell us, like, what was the passion that developed in you that you began to move in this direction? Like, what, what was shaped in you over these yeah. last, last few years? Yeah, well, um, you know, as a as a creative type, always in in church settings, creatives are sort of held at a distance. You know, like like when we can serve up a great song or we can serve up a, a new missiology or a cute book or something like that. Then all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk about how important creativity is. But by and large, 
creatives put rocks in the shoe of the church and it's really uncomfortable for people to to have us around and so for me coming up as a creative in the church i had no no real mentors i had no real support there was there were not any good resources or books or podcasts about creativity and and many of the people even now who talk about creativity what they really mean is a bigger budget for lights and lasers and a cool new worship song like that's kind of the extent of it and and those are that that's not even the right universe for thinking about generativity or innovation or, or fresh expression, like not, not even close. And, and so I started feeling like I was the only person out there that cared about these things. And then periodically, like I'd meet somebody, I'd meet somebody in South Africa, I'd meet somebody in Seattle, I'd meet somebody in Berlin, I'd, I'd meet a cluster of people in Toronto. And I go, wait a minute, there's all kinds of creatives out here. Um, and, and we're all the same kind of ill fit for the church. And yet we all are passionately committed to the church. And, and I was talking with Leonard Sweet uh, once, and, and he introduced me to uh, an ancient group of Christian pastors um, called the Fosors. And, and uh, it's actually a nickname, uh, a Fosor or Fasares is how I pronounce it, because it rolls off the tongue a little easier. But a Fasares is a, a really ugly bug, like a cockroach. It's a sand wasp, uh, the dirty little gross bug that lives in the ground. And during the Roman persecution of the church, when the church was largely driven underground, Many pastors had day jobs as grave diggers. And the Romans weren't sure which grave diggers were pastors and which grave diggers were just regular dudes because the pastors were a problem. You know, they're sneaking people into the catacombs for these like black market baptisms and secret liturgies, you know. And, and so the Romans started calling the grave diggers Pasares, which is a way of saying like, you ugly cockroaches. And it was a derogatory term specifically for clergy. Well, if you go into those catacombs now, you can see these incredible frescoes, these cool little carvings. You can actually see um, there, there's one carving of the, the only Fasares, Fasarian that we have by name in antiquity is a, of Diogenes. And so he's, he's in a catacomb in Rome and he's holding a pickaxe in one hand and a lantern in the other. But I just love that these, these, these Fasarians combined their, their work, like their job as a gravedigger, and their art, the frescoes, the, you know, the, the reliefs, the icons, and, and their faith. And I thought, that's it. That's, that's me. I'm that. And all these other people that I keep meeting, they're that too. And, and after I spent years and years and years, you know, co coaching, consulting, teaching, or whatever, I thought, I've got to bring the Fasarians together. Like, because it stinks if you're the only one like that. And you're looking around going, like, is everybody else just trying to be Ed Young Jr. Is, is everybody else just trying to be Andy Stanley? And like, those guys are great, but like, we, we don't all look like that. You know, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are not, right? And, and so I go, what, where's the fraternity? Where's the collegium of highly innovative, deeply passionate, church-serving, Jesus-worshipping clergy? Where's that? So I thought, well, I'm going to start one because I can't find it. So I'm going to make it. And uh, my wife and I were looking around our little town in the middle of Nowheresville, Michigan, and we realized like property is cheap here. Um, so we bought an old Victorian mansion, uh, 18th century, huge stone house that was dilapidated. It's 8,000 square feet. And we turned it into a, a headquarters for Christian ministerial innovation. It's the Fasari's Chapter House, um, fasariaschapterhouse.com. We host uh, retreats every month. We host online cohorts. And, um, and it's the funnest, most rewarding work of my life. And we started in 2019. Since then, we've had just over 400 pastors come through the doors. 
Um, and this last year, we made the decision to, to graduate from local church ministry and become instead missionaries to pastors. So I'm stepping away from my salary and instead taking a giant pole vault of faith and saying, I want to do for other pastors what nobody did for me. And I want to love them and support them. And my mission field is, is the other Fasarians out there who are going, I love Jesus. I love the church. But there's got to be a better way. And I go, great. Come to Michigan, which is not a thing anybody ever says, <laughs> especially in January and February. Um, but so, yeah. So January 31st is my last day as the local church pastor. Um, and, then, uh, and then we're full time at the chapter house. I love that, uh, that phrase that you use, a missionary to pastors. And I can't think of a more important time and season where pastors need support like this. What, what are some themes you're noticing in the pastors that you all are serving? Oh, despair. Mm. Yeah, despair. Um, but I think right now, a, a consistent theme that I see among pastors is a, a frustration that our congregants will not tell the truth about the Bible. Uh, we have so many church people who are convinced that if you just read the Bible and do what it says, you'll be fine, forgetting that so much of the Bible requires deep reflection. I mean, you're going to read 1 Kings and do what it says? Really? You're going to read the life of David and, and do what it says? Really? You're going to treat your co-laborers in ministry the way Paul treated John Mark? Really? Like, come on. You, you want to be a person of faith like Abraham? Have you read Genesis? I mean, come on. Uh, but there's such a need within um, evangelicalism right now to have some certitude and some strong anchor points to just, you know, believe that things are okay, even in the Bible. And for pastors, we're dealing with the, the muck and the mess of, of people's lives every day. We're going, wait, I think the muck and the mess in scripture is actually really going to help us if we'll if we'll open up our hearts and let God speak through the, through the word um and and the failure of many Christians or the the reluctance of many Christians to even hear their pastors out right now is is a is a that's hurting their pastors a lot um and I, I've never seen more nobility out of pastors like every pastor left right now is going down swinging I mean they are working themselves to the bone they're praying their guts out. They're holding on to their people. Each single pastor is doing the work of 10 former pastors pre-COVID. They're doing it while their budgets are getting slashed, while they're taking massive amounts of criticism, while they've been highly politicized, and they're just going, Lord, come. Lord, come. And so I, I'm, I have more of a crush on pastors now than ever. I mean, what absolute heroes those guys are. Um, and I, Yeah, and, and they... they they sit there and they go, is it making any difference? And I tell you what, when we hear the stories of what these men and women on the front lines are doing now, we're going to hear the stories in two years and five years and 10 years. We have absolute saints in our midst, absolute heroes that will sustain the, the mission of the church for the next hundred years once their stories are told. Dang. Um, That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I have a feeling like, I mean, I know for me, it's just like hearing that I, there's just these emotions like welling up in my soul. Um, Cause man, it is just, it's, it is a, yeah, you're, you nailed it. It's just a challenge. It's like, you know, that feeling and, and watching budgets go down and asking the question, like, are we going to be around like in, in a year? Like, am I going to be, you know, 
working at Lowe's or Home Depot, uh, cutting lumber in the back. But, but even like, it's interesting because even listening to my own heart and the hearts of other pastors, like I just, I keep hearing like, well, if I have to get a full-time job doing something else, I'm not leaving the church. Like I'm staying this thing. Right. Yeah. In some ways it's just like deeply encouraging. So like, what's your, I mean, what is your hope like two to five years now? Like if, if you could just like, man, the, the church two to five years now is going to be in this like beautiful space or whatever, like, like, what does that hope lead you to lead you to believe and pray into? Yeah. Um, you ever heard of, uh, adventure races, a tough mutter, warrior dash, yeah. Spartan yeah. sprint, things like that, 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 that's COVID for us. And, uh, if you've ever done those adventure races, I've done, you know, some of the bigger ones and ultra marathons, that kind of stuff. Like as you're doing it, you are dying. I mean, the first time that I did the, um, uh, which was the, the tough mutter, you know, it was 17 miles or something and all these obstacles. And I trained for months to do it. And as you're going through it, you're like, I'm going to die. I hope a piece of an airplane decapitates me. So I do not have to finish this stupid race that I have paid hundreds of dollars in which to participate. Like I don't, I do not like myself right now. And then you get done and you know, you, you know, you have your water, you rehydrate, you sit there for a bit and cry into your sad potatoes. And then you go, Holy smoke. If I can do that, I, I can do anything. We're, we're going to come out of COVID and go, if we can do that, if we can do that, we can do anything with God's help for God's glory. We can do it. And, and I think you're, you're going to see a church filled with people who are so strong and so aware of their own capability. I mean, no more of this, you know, let go and let God nonsense. God works through people. God is working through you. And if you're not doing anything, God's not working. And so God's going to find a witness. He's going to find somebody to be his hands and his feet. He's going to find somebody who's going to bear up under the burden of the church. He's going to find somebody to carry the poor. He's going to find them. And so it's either you or it's not. But two to five years from now, the only people left are going to be those who have been grown amen yes let it be so (laughs) oh man um gosh i feel like we should just like have you on on a monthly basis just to encourage pastors (laughs) sure yeah yeah, i I think i would too um yeah our time's coming short here we're coming to a close and i just wanted to just is there anything else on your heart that you just want to share Oh, you know, uh, yeah, actually, I, I've got a, a new book coming out um, with in, Invite Publishing. It's a, a publisher from uh, Glenn Wilson in Plano, Texas. And, and the book is called Heirs of Eden. And uh, the book is going to make a lot of people mad. Anybody who reads this book unprepared is going to hate me for the first 50 or 100 pages. So, uh, so the thing that's on my heart is, hear me out, man. Just, just hear me out. Um, because the book is, is about the fact that that everything that we believe God has promised us as Christians in the new heaven and the new earth and the new creation is going to come through the work of the church. And, and that's, that's really disrupting for people, especially as you get into the weeds and I make my case biblically and theologically, people are going to go, no, 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 God's supposed to do that. God's supposed to do that. And, and I think this, this, this message that I feel so passionately about is, yeah, God says, whom shall I go? Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Um, and it's you. It's you. So 
let's get to work, man. Let's do it. Yeah, dude. Well, David, thank you so much. Well, I know I'm looking forward to reading this book. Um, I, I haven't been pissed off in like four hours, so it'll be <laughs> <laughs> that long. <laughs> Maybe five. I it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, would you mind just benedicting us as as we end our time together? Yeah, absolutely. In every space, with every handshake, and every holy kiss, greet the world with love and friendship. And God, through you, will give births. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you ever considered engaging in pastoral or ministry coaching? We have a team of coaches at Kairos Partnerships available to serve you. If you want to know more, log on to our website at kairospartnerships.org for a free 30-minute coaching call to give it a test drive. Thanks again for listening. We're grateful you tuned into this episode. We'll catch you next week for another episode. God bless and bless God.